Hello, everybody. You're listening to a Bitcoin and Markets live stream. My name is Ansel Lindner, and on this show, I give you a unique perspective on Bitcoin, macro, and geopolitics. You can find me all over. Follow me on Twitter at Ansel Lindner. The Telegram channel is doing really well, so go to t.me for slash Bitcoin and Markets to join there to listen to these live streams live. You can find the show in any podcast app. Just search for Bitcoin and Markets or go to bitcoinandmarkets.com forward slash find dash us and you can find most big podcast apps will be listed there. We're also on Rumble and Odyssey so you can find our channels and go subscribe and give us likes so we can um, reach more people over there on those video apps. We have lost our YouTube channel. And lastly, make sure you're subscribed over on bitcoinandmarkets.com to get notified of all of my content. All right. Let's jump in to today's topics. It is Wednesday, November 30th, 2022. I usually do FedWatch on Wednesdays. That was our old agreed upon time. I think we probably did at least six months or maybe even a year at that time. Um, but we are going to be shifting it now to Thursdays at 1.30 Eastern. And that is to accommodate... You know, um, Bitcoin Magazine is shifting around a lot of their live stream stuff right now. And so that is to accommodate the their new schedule with their new live stream. But yeah, still going on FedWatch with Bitcoin Magazine. Now Thursdays at 1.30 p.m. What else do we have? So that I'm not going on today, even though that's my usual thing is on Wednesdays. I talk about what I'm preparing for FedWatch. Of course, that's not happening today. That will happen tomorrow. And they, they gave me the option of Tuesday or Thursday. And I said Thursday because most of the economic news comes out on Wednesday. Just like before I hit record here over on Telegram, I was uh, trying to find what time Powell is speaking today. Uh, I think it's either coming up very shortly or I don't know. It's, a lot of times they're around 2 p.m. Eastern. So that might be the time. But, uh, you know, that's a lot of this stuff happens on Wednesdays. Most of their FOMC stuff drops on Wednesday. You have um, CPI usually drops in the first half of the week. And so Thursday is going to be better, I think, for FedWatch than Tuesday, because then we'd always be a week behind. Uh, this This way, we're only a day behind. So that's how we settled on Thursday. All right. What other intro stuff do I have? Um, guys, listen on Spaces. Welcome. Ansel Lindner, Bitcoin and Markets. If you're not familiar, this is a Telegram live stream, and I simulcast onto Twitter Spaces. So at the end of each episode or each day, each stream I do, uh, I open the mic up on Telegram, not on Spaces, because I can't handle both of those at the same time. And... Um, so yeah, jump on over to t.me for slash Bitcoin and markets. The audio is going to be better. You also will get all of the charts. You know, as I'm talking about a chart, I'll post it in the Telegram channel or I post it in the Telegram channel before I go on these live streams. And so you have uh, access to pretty much exactly what I'm talking about. Guys over on Telegram, what is up? Thank you for supporting the show. Thank you for uh, all of the interaction that has been going on on the Telegram channel. I think it's great. But okay, um, what are we talking about today? We're going to go through quickly, as quickly as I can, through some charts, 
through some headlines, economic numbers, and then talk about this ECB piece that this blog post that just came out um, talking about Bitcoin. Bitcoin's last stand is the the title of it. So, where what chart should we start with? Of course, the Bitcoin chart. And I've been posting a couple of those in the Telegram channel. We did break out of this downward sloping resistance trend line that you know we've been underneath since pretty much let's see we've been under this trend line since the 11th of november so almost the whole month of november this is the ft you know after ftx blew up and stuff uh that's good that shows some sign of strength but really i'm not i'm not going to count on that um we are still under massive massive resistance that is around, you know, in the eighteen to nineteen thousand dollar area. Once we break through that, which we will, uh, we can either break through it with, you know, quick demand, which I don't see materializing right now. You know, a ton of demand coming on either from institutional investors or something like that. But uh, I don't see that coming on right now. So the other way we can chip away at that resistance is just by giving it more time you know so it's hard to break through resistance if everybody's attention is focused on that zone but if you give it two months uh, you can chip away at that resistance by just giving it more time and so what do i expect <laughs> i am a permable and i think that we have bottomed but i've thought that multiple times during this bear market um, I don't see them there being a huge amount of selling pressure in Bitcoin. Even this FTX debacle was they only had 1.1 Bitcoins, right? The entire company only had 1.1 Bitcoins. All of Sam Bankman Fried's investments were in non-Bitcoin scams. Remember that kind of chart that or is a um a diagram of Sam Bankman and all his his investments and Every single one of them was a shitcoin scam. Zero were Bitcoin companies or Bitcoin only companies. And so this is almost entirely, this whole thing was almost entirely not with Bitcoin. Now, BlockFi and some of the other things that have blown up, they had more Bitcoins, obviously. Um, and there's a lot of FUD around GBTC and Tether and Coinbase and the you know, um, what, what BitGo with the wrapped Bitcoins. So there is some FUD all surrounding this, but so far nothing really has gone unexpectedly in the last few weeks. So I think the demand structure of the economy, the kind of, yeah, I, I can't think of a better term right off the top of my head. Demand structure in the economy is very similar to what it was back in September, October. Nothing really has changed for Bitcoin. Now, if you're talking about Ethereum or you're talking about some other altcoins, of course, the demand structure has changed for them because these big Ponzi exchanges have blown up. But those didn't really affect Bitcoin all that much. I mean, you could say there was some leverage there and people unwound leverage, but the kind of underlying economy that's supporting a Bitcoin price is still the exact same. And so I think that we are oversold. I've thought that for a while, though, so... To take that with a grain of salt. Um, I don't think we're going to be able to break through 19,000 this year. Um, 
I thought we were going to, you know, be much, much higher uh, by the end of this year, but you know, obviously it's looking like that's not going to happen. We're going to have to wait till the end of year selling. Most of the time at the end of the year, people sell some Bitcoin because they have to pay taxes on their capital gains, or they want to maybe lock in some losses, right? And so they they will sell and then rebuy the first of the year. So I think the rest of the year, we're going to be pretty flat, um, maybe drift upwards. We'll see how this goes as, you know, miners hunker down and make it through this really tough patch that they're going through. Um, I think they'll sell fewer and fewer coins as they lean out, streamline their expenses. They'll sell fewer and fewer Bitcoins. And so the price could trickle upward through the end of the year. And then the beginning of the year, we can break through this 19,000 and get back to business. So that's kind of what I'm thinking right now. Um, Okay. Let's take a look at some other macro charts real quick. I'll post a chart of the S&P 500. It's slightly red on the day, but nothing intense. There's some mixed emotions going on with Powell speaking here today, but it is slightly red, but nothing like that's breaking any sort of structure on the chart or anything like that. We're still above the 100-day and below the 200-day being pinched right in that area. And the longer we stay here, the more likely, in my opinion, that we break upward than downward. Um, So that's that for stocks. Oil broke 80 this morning, but on a huge draw. So the inventory draw, there was a gigantic inventory draw, and that made you know people pump the price here a little bit this morning. But in the grand scheme of things, it is... It's just a little blip. So oil is still obeying my expectations here. Uh, So that's the oil chart I just posted. And then what else we have? Oh, the 10-year, which I'm watching like a hawk because of the Fed funds range and stuff. Let me just clean up some lines here. So the Fed funds range, it is, uh, or the 10-year sitting right now at 3.77. The bottom of the Fed funds range is 3.75. Uh, We will see if they can talk it up. We'll see what Powell does here today. Powell is probably going to come out here and try to talk up these rates. Be very, very hawkish and talk up these rates. Uh, Because (laughs) that's what moves the 10-year. That's what moves these longer-term bonds is just the jawboning of the Fed. There's no mechanical thing behind it, as that's I always say that. So if this shakes off whatever hawkishness Powell is about to spit out today, then you know we can say they're pretty much going to be moving. But overall, or they're pre- they're pretty much going to be pivoting away from 75 to like say 50. Outsized chance they or outside chance that they only raise 25 or zero. So we'll see what I mean. There's still a long time. There's two weeks until they have a uh, their policy decision. Um, but overall, the macro environment has really kind of eased up. The, the stress has eased a lot. And we see that in a lot of the currency charts. So I'll, pr- I'll post the other kind of like, uh, you know, GDP is known as like the Zeus of the economic pantheon. 
<laughs> DXY is kind of the Zeus of the Forex Pantheon, right? And so by looking at the DXY, we can get a pretty good idea of what's going on out there in currency markets. So that is the dollar. It is once again uh, remaining at the 106 handle, almost breaking into 107, but it has been down here for three weeks, I believe, three reports, my weekly report that I give put out on Monday, the DXY has been down here for three weeks. And it's so far off the high up at 114 that that tells me that they're, the kind of acute stress in the financial system is lessened right now. Okay. So that would fit with a run in stocks, a run in Bitcoin, a, even a run in bonds uh, or, or the treasuries. So that's kind of what we're seeing. All of these indicators match up. Uh, the only thing that really doesn't match up still is the inversions. And let me bring up these. So the 10-year, three-month is still down at 61 basis points inverted. That is insane. The 10-year, uh, two-year is at 75 basis points inverted. These inversions say that the economy uh, is, or we are headed right into recession and it could be a very deep recession. Um, but of course, guys that listen to my stuff on Telegram, you know, that uh, follow all my comments on this stuff, that it's it's a really weird time because of this high CPI number and the way they measure real GDP. So not only is CPI not money printing <laughs> and it doesn't really measure um, inflation all that well. And there's other intricacies like the shelter component is so lagging in CPI and PCE has its own nuances to it as well, which I'm pretty sure they use PCE for uh, to, to create the real GDP number. But um the, there's so many nuances in the CPI or the PCE, but there's also nuances in the GDP. So the, these are two imperfect measurements that we are using to come up with a quarterly GDP number that is part and parcel with a recession. So are we in a recession? That's why at the first two quarters of this year, I, I think it was January of this year, I said we are in recession. And we had two quarters of negative GDP growth. But really, what does that matter? Because like I just got done talking about is all of these measurements are somewhat subjective or have their own nuance. They're not perfect. So right now, are we in recession right now? I don't think so. I think that the economy actually is growing. They just revised the real GDP for Q3 up to almost 3% at 2.9% annualized. So that's a pretty big, pretty big number going from two quarters of negative to uh, almost 3% positive. That is pretty big. So anyway, I don't think we're in recession. I think that we could have what these inversions are telling us is, yes, there is going to be a massive recession, but will it show up in real GDP? You know, will, will we have real GDP telling us we're in recession or will we just squeak out some positive growth, even though, you know, the yields are so inverted and that's what I'm thinking. I'm leaning towards that. I'm leaning towards uh, somewhere fluctuating around zero 
the real GDP not being nice and giving us two or three consecutive quarters of negative numbers just because the CPI component or the PCE component has so far to drop. And it can drop faster and turn a negative GDP print into a positive GDP print just by dropping inflation. So anyway, enough of that. Uh, Let's go into some numbers. These are economic numbers that have come out this morning. I'm going to read this article here from Zero Hedge headline. Ugly jolt. Job openings plunge by 353,000 as hirings. Oh, sorry. Jeez Louise. As hiring quits tumble to multi-year lows. One month after the August jolts report showed an unexplained surge in job openings following the dire plunge in July when nearly 1 million job openings were gone, things are reverting back to the normal because of the freak spike in job openings in the last month of the summer, which was downward revised to 407,000 after the 890,000 drop in July. In September, the trend trend line resumed. Good Lord. Sorry, guys. In September, the trend line resumed its grind lower as another 353,000 job openings were gone, bringing the total to just 10.334 million, down from the record 11.5855 million in March. So anyway, job openings are crashing. The number of job openings are crashing. And I mean, this is another nuanced economic variable, right? Because you have two different surveys for employment. And one of them, I think it's the household survey, is the one that is showing not that many job, not that much job creation. It's mostly second jobs and third jobs that people are getting. But the one that the administration uses or the one the Fed uses, whatever, they are showing, you know, major improvement in job numbers. That's why the unemployment rate is down. So all of these things have nuance in them. And you can't look at a single number and try to make a prediction from that. That's why I believe it's my, I think you have to have a framework of the global economy, what's going on, geopolitics going on, and then you look at the data from that. So yeah, it is a biased view, but you have, that's why you make predictions. And if your predictions don't turn out, then you have to re reevaluate your premise or your premises. And so far, I have been very accurate on most of my big predictions. So I have a, I feel that the kind of framework that I'm using is fairly accurate. But anyways, okay, so that is the jobs report. There was another, some more, here's another one. Um, Chicago PMI collapses to COVID lockdown lows, screams recession. In a massive downside surprise, the Chicago PMI survey just printed 37.2 versus 47.0 expectations, plunging to its lowest level since the peak of the COVID lockdowns in 2020. This was below the lowest estimate of 25 economists surveyed. Under the hood was not pretty. These are bullet points here. Business barometer fell at fastest pace, signaling contraction. Prices paid rose at a slower pace, signaling expansion. New orders fell at a faster pace, signaling contraction. Employment fell at a slower pace, signaling contraction. 
in inventories rose at a faster pace, signaling expansion. So yeah, there's just mig- mixed signals here, but a PMI of 37 is disastrous. It is absolutely disastrous. Here, I'll post this chart or this image into the telegram, and it's showing the the lows that we're we're seeing here. And there is never a time where it's been this low and we haven't had a massive recession. So uh, that's another thing that's pointing with the yield curve inversions. This is another thing pointing to uh, bad recession coming. So anyway, okay, let's look at this ECB thing. It is just a blog post on the ECB blog, Bitcoin's last stand. It is by Ulrich Binsel and Jürgen Schaff. I looked them up. Ulrich is a huge CBDC lover. He has multiple papers written about CBDCs in the last couple years. And Jürgen is, he is less out there with his writing, but he's worked high up for the the government of Luxembourg and then now for the ECB. Kind of a career bureaucrat. These guys are both career bureaucrats, and they're both in the payment uh, and infrastructure, I guess, department at the ECB. So, okay, let's let's get into it here. The value of Bitcoin peaked at sixty nine thousand in November twenty twenty one, before falling to seventeen thousand by mid June twenty twenty two. Since then, the value has fluctuated around twenty thousand. For Bitcoin proponents. The seeming stabilization signals a breather on the way to new heights. I'm going to break in all the time here. So seeming stabilization, seeming stabilization. It is stable, right? I mean, it's not seemingly stable. Anyways, okay. More likely, however, it is an artificially induced last gasp before the road to irrelevance. And this was already foreseeable before FTX went bust and sent the Bitcoin price to well below 16,000. So multiple things in this sentence here. So artificially induced last gasp before the road to irrelevance. That is, I think, projection by the ECB. You know, if you were to, if you were to survey 100 economists, what central bank would be at most risk of you know, collapse in the world of the major central banks? It's going to be the ECB. The ECB is scared. I, I'm going to check out their reserves. You know, like they publish um, how many, how much of global reserves are held in dollars and euros for every year. And I bet this year the euro lost a ton because they were sitting about 22 to 24%. And I think they probably moved down to 20% or lower of global reserves held in, in euros. I mean, don't quote me on that, but I, I think that they probably lost a lot. And I would say this whole thing is projection. They're worried about the their own collapse, their own road to irrelevance. That's why they have to promote a CBDC. That's why Ulrich is constantly promoting a CBDC because he they, they don't want to be irrelevant. They know that out of all the, you know, stable coins out there, U.S. dollar stable coins, 99%. That's because nobody cares about the euro. If it were the 
same ratio to reserves and stable coins, like how the supply of stable coins. So if 22% of fiat stable coins were euro based stable coins, I think the ECB would be much less worried and much less, uh, you know, going for a CBDC. But the, the fact that this innovation is leaving behind the euro because nobody cares about the euro. If you have this liquid form of dollars, then they're worried. They're, they're very, very worried. Okay. Next thing is they say foreseeable before FTX. Okay. I guess FTX was a Ponzi. Bitcoiners warned about all these Ponzi schemes in the altcoin side of the house. I mean, yeah, it was foreseeable in that way, but this last gasp or whatever, the road to irrelevance is not foreseeable. Just zoom out. I mean, the road to irrelevance apparently takes a path through 69,000, you know, and maybe higher. Like if it goes higher, like what if it makes new highs? The road to irrelevance, you know, has a a path through 100K. Like how does that road to irrelevance work? Um, And then lastly, they say well below 16,000. It wasn't well below 16,000. It was a tiny bit below. Anyways, next section they have, Bitcoin is rarely used for legal transactions. Bitcoin was created to overcome the existing monetary and financial system. Uh, I've talked about this a lot. Um, Bitcoin was created to route around mandatory third parties and the existing system can get on board, right? They can get on board if they just buy Bitcoin put Bitcoin in the reserves, they can use Bitcoin themselves if they wanted to. So the existing system, you know, isn't, Bitcoin isn't overcoming the existing system. It's going to assimilate the existing system, right? All right. In 2008, the pseudonymous Satoshi Nakamoto published the concept. Since then, Bitcoin has been marketed as a global decentralized digital currency. And this is something I might not have talked about very much, but this term digital currency, I'm not, I don't really like that. A couple years, maybe four years ago, I published a 101 series of just three short little podcast episodes. Um, And I talked about Bitcoin as cash. It's digital cash. It's not currency. Currency is like a derivative of money in my mind. Uh, And cash is the actual form of money that does not create debt, right? So when you use a credit card or whatever, you're actually using micro debt. It it is, it's not settled for days. It's just in the system as needing to be settled. Like the mempool, think about like a mempool of Visa. It settles once a month or whatever. So that's... Currency is a a derivative of the money itself, and cash is the form of the money that does not create any sort of debt. So it cash is actually money, and currency is a derivative of money. I hope I hope I'm saying that correct. But this kind of muddies the water if you use the term currency, and I'll show you how that happens right here in the next sentence. So they say, however, Bitcoin's conceptual design and technological shortcomings. Make it questionable as a means of payment. So means of payment is not a money thing, right? It's a a currency thing. PayPal is a means of payment. The dollar is the medium of exchange, right? So by calling it digital currency, you automatically, I believe, 
push it more into this idea of means of payment. And of course, these two guys, Ulrich and Jurgen, they are payment guys at the ECB. That's what they are. So they see everything with the lens of with payments. So anyway, I just want to point that out, that when we use digital currency instead of digital cash, then you get into this idea of means of payment versus being money itself. And that's detrimental, I think. And it shows that they don't understand this either. So anyway, um, real Bitcoin transactions are cumbersome, slow, and expensive. Yes. Bitcoin has never <laughs> Bitcoin has never been used to any significant extent for real world transactions. So I looked up this uh, current volume. So Bitcoin does right now it is on a lower side, but it does about sixteen billion dollars worth of volume a day. That's not BTC volume. That is dollar equivalent volume. Sixteen billion right now, but it's throughout this this year it's been as high as 500 billion in a day if i'm reading this blockchain chart right that is immense but nothing it's all illicit transactions i mean there's also been studies where they say it's only been about 1% of transactions were for illicit uses 1% so if there's billions of dollars per day of legitimate or legal, I, don't, I guess they would call it legitimate here, these ECB guys, uh, legitimate transactions, only 1% were illicit uses. And also, I always go back to that that saying by Andreas, who said, if you can't buy drugs with it, it's not money. So yeah, the illicit transactions actually prove its value. And if there were no illicit transactions, you would have to question its decentralization, right? and the value underlying everything. So anyway, let's continue with this. In uh, in the mid 2010s, the hope that Bitcoin's value would inevitably rise to ever new heights began to dominate the narrative. Yeah, number go up. But Bitcoin is also not suitable as an investment. It does not generate cash flow like real estate or dividends like equities, cannot be used productively like commodities or provide social benefits like gold. The market valuation of Bitcoin is therefore based purely on speculation. Of course, that's not the case. Bitcoin has many societal benefits. There's censorship resistance, seizure resistance. Of course, these guys don't like that. They like to seize other sovereign nations' reserves and people's reserves and freeze their accounts and steal their money and stop them from donating to freedom causes and things like that supporting people like Julian Assange or the truckers or the farmers. They love that. But that is a societal benefit to be able to support these people, right? And send censorship resistance anywhere. There's also a permissionless innovation built in here. If this is a decentralized system with no uh, rule maker, then the innovation is permissionless. And we see this obviously with what I just mentioned a minute ago, the Lightning Network. But you see this also with liquid. I know that's not a very popular uh, layer two with a lot of Bitcoiners, but I like liquid. And there's also innovation on centralized layer twos, right? So there's a spectrum of permissionless innovation that's happening constantly, which does not occur in the traditional financial system. They cannot keep up, period. You would have to be insane to think that 
this walled garden of permissioned payments can keep up with the innovation of this permissionless global payment system. It's not going to happen. All right. And lastly, Bitcoin is truly fixed supply asset. That's the only time that's ever occurred. I mean, in a fungible way that could be used as money. Of course, there have been fixed supply assets like there is one Mona Lisa, right? But you can't use Mona Lisa as a medium of exchange, but you can with Bitcoin and it's a fixed supply. It's the first time that type of asset has ever been created. I mean, I'm speaking to the choir, I know, but I'm just saying this for people listening to the podcast or whatever. Um, So it's a truly fixed supply asset and it can't be debased and it can be taken anywhere. It also, you know, this is a little nuanced here, but Bitcoin isn't taken anywhere, actually. It it can be accessed anywhere, but it never moves. Okay, Bitcoin doesn't cross borders, actually. Bitcoin never crosses crossed a border. It's not an international payment, actually, because Bitcoin just lives on everybody's node, right? On everybody's uh, ledger that they have, their own personal ledger. That's where Bitcoin resides. It didn't move. So before someone sent me a transaction, say they're in... Um, I don't know, South Africa, right? And they send me in Florida a transaction. I had those Bitcoins on my node already. Then they send it to me and those Bitcoins didn't move off of my node. They stayed on my node. So there's no international transaction. It is all just a digital database that switches ownership, right? So there is no, you don't take Bitcoins anywhere. They're everywhere and nowhere at the same time. So anyway, we're talking about societal benefits and, uh, there's just innumerable societal benefits. That's not getting into the the degradation that fiat puts onto society and stuff, right? Uh, and I guess inflation would put on society and even deflation puts on society. Deflation is actually in a credit-based system. Deflation is not good, is not a good thing. Right. If there's deflationary pressure as there's a credit bubble that needs to pop, right? This credit bubble needs to pop. And Austrians would say the same thing. So don't Bitcoiners shouldn't give me any heck about this because Austrians say the same thing. There's the business cycle. You pump up the credit bubble, then it bursts. That's the natural boom bust cycle created or elucidated first by the Austrians, the business cycle. So we're at the end of a global business cycle of this credit and it needs to pop, but it can't. So this deflationary pressure is very bad for society. It's very, very bad for society. It's destroys your psyche. You know, it makes you depressed. There's no growth uh, in society. Everything gets twisted. So that's the societal benefits can be, I mean, listed for days and days and days what bitcoin the societal benefits that bitcoin provides so anyway he said there's this piece said there's no societal benefits from bitcoin it's just pure speculation which it is a lot speculation i'm not going to deny that it is really i don't personally spend bitcoin right but i save it and having bitcoin as savings it gives you peace of mind i think (laughs) so that is a benefit to to people anyways um 
Let's continue going here. Speculative bubbles rely on new money flowing in. Yes, speculative bubbles rely on that. Are you calling Bitcoin a complete Ponzi? Yes, they are. (laughs) Bitcoin has also repeatedly benefited from waves of new investors. The manipulations by individuals, exchange, individual exchanges or stablecoin providers, etc. during the first waves are well documented, but less so the stabilizing factors after the supposed bursting of the bubble in spring. So they constantly, you know, Ponzi's usually don't reflate. I mean, you guys could probably go through history and find a Ponzi that reflated. But Ponzi's usually don't do that. I mean, 99.9% of Ponzi's don't reflate. And Bitcoin has, quote unquote, reflated multiple times. That's why this Ponzi thing, just right off the bat, just looking at the chart, doesn't make sense, okay? Um, You don't even have to know anything about Bitcoin to know that it's not a Ponzi if it constantly comes back and goes to higher highs. Uh, And also, I'll say that they... Critics of Bitcoin always look at the last bubble as though it was the culmination of everything. You know, and Bitcoiners look at it as we're still early. We're still early. This was my third bubble to live through, right? It's not like um, this was the crowning achievement of Bitcoin was 69,000, which would be kind of funny if that was the case. But um, no, this is just the, the latest Cycle. That's all you can say. I mean, there there's so many cycles in economics. I mean, do they look at the stock market and let's say like, oh, you know, this is never going to ever achieve this high again? Of course they don't. Um, anyways, let's continue. Big Bitcoin investors have the strongest incentive to keep the euphoria going. At the end of 2020, isolated companies began to promote Bitcoin at corporate expense. Some venture capital firms are also investing heavily. Despite ongoing crypto winter, VC investments in crypto and blockchain industry totaled uh, $17.9 billion as of mid-July. So I forgot to mention this. Um, He does a little, or they, Ulrich and Jurgen here, they do a little switcheroo, sleight of hand. They're talking about Bitcoin, Bitcoin, Bitcoin. And then all of a sudden, crypto comes in. Crypto winter, crypto and blockchain industry. We're not talking about crypto. We're not talking about blockchain. We're talking about Bitcoin. Let's stick to Bitcoin. But they can't do that because a lot of their arguments are lumping in Bitcoin with crypto, of course. Okay, let's continue. Regulation can be misunderstood as approval. Large investors also fund lobbyists who push their case with lawmakers and regulators. In the U.S. alone, the number of Bitcoin lobbyists? No. Crypto lobbyists. The number of crypto lobbyists was almost tripled from 115 in 2018 to 320 in 2021. Like Sam Bankman Fried. <laughs> Their names sometimes read like a who's who of US regulators, but lobbying activities need a sounding board to have an impact. Indeed, lawmakers have sometimes facilitated the influx of funds by supporting the supposed merits of Bitcoin. There we go, Bitcoin, and offering regulation that gave the impression that crypto assets are just another asset class. So here, Bitcoin, of course, in the same sentence as the term crypto assets, I think crypto assets is one of the worst terms ever created. 
And I remember when they did that, uh, there was some guy on Twitter. I think he was on World Crypto Net back in the day, uh, one of the authors, and he wrote the book Crypto Assets. Um, can't remember his name. But anyway, it, it's a horrible term. It means nothing. There is no assets. It's just Bitcoin, and Bitcoin is cash. Right. I guess cash is an asset, but it's not a crypto asset. It's just cat. It's just money. It's just Bitcoin. Crypto assets is a meaningless term. Oh, OK. Yet the risks of crypto assets are undisputed among regulators. OK, they're undisputed amongst Bitcoiners, too. The risks of crypto are undisputed among Bitcoiners. But not the risks of Bitcoin. Like. That this is this is the the level of incompetence that we're up against. Okay, in July, the Financial Stability Board called for crypto assets. There we go with that term again, and markets to be subject to effective regulation and supervision commensurate with the risks they pose, along with the doctrine of same risk, same regulation. However, legislation on crypto assets has sometimes been slow to ratify in recent years and implementation often lags behind. Moreover, the different jurisdictions are not proceeding at the same pace in the same ambition or with the same ambition. While the EU has agreed on a comprehensive regulatory package with the Markets in Crypto Asset Regulation or MICA, Congress and the federal authorities in the U.S. have not been able to agree on coherent rules. All right, great. They're, they're frustrated here with the lack of movement out of the United States. And of course, because people want U.S. dollar stable coins and Bitcoin. They don't want the euro and they definitely don't want digital euro. You know, so there's no reason for the United States to move forward with regulation. I mean, yeah, they will regulate exchanges more heavily. They'll regulate some stable coins just because it is a U.S. dollar thing. But there's no real need to regulate. That They don't feel this overarching, impending doom that the ECB and you know Europeans feel when they think about their money because the dollar is not being rejected. Just look at the DXY. Remember, the Zeus of the Forex Pantheon is the DXY, and it is going up. All right, continuing. The current regulation of cryptocurrencies is partly shaped by misconceptions. The belief that space, uh, the belief that space must be given to innovation at all costs stubbornly persists. Wow, spoken like a real freaking commie, man. The belief that space must be given to innovation at all costs stubbornly persists. I mean, how much more... You know, do they do a Heil Hitler after that or something? Since Bitcoin is based on the new, a new technology, DLT and blockchain, it would have a high transformation potential. So DLT and blockchain, I, I didn't know that this still persisted, that Bitcoin is based on DLT and blockchain, because really, you know, DLT and blockchain are, are just ideas that were built from Bitcoin. Bitcoin came first. Blockchain doesn't appear in the white paper. 
I think maybe block space chain appears in the white paper. I can't remember now off the top of my head, but um, no, it, this is an idea that was pr- promoted by Conman, DLT and blockchain to pump speculation in what? Not in Bitcoin, but in shit coins. Yes. All right, let's continue. Firstly, these technologies have so far created limited value for society. Uh-huh. No matter how great the expectations for the future. Now, this is true of crypto, right? These technologies have so far created limited value for society. That is true in crypto. It's not true for Bitcoin. And I just listed off all the benefits that Bitcoin offers. Secondly, the use of a promising technology is not a sufficient condition for an added value of a product based on it. Bitcoin is not based on DLT and blockchain. Blockchain is based or was created as a perversion by conmen of the ideas of Bitcoin. So they're based on Bitcoin. Bitcoin's not based on DLT and blockchain. All right. Um, The supposed sanction of regulations has also tempted the conventional financial industry to make it easier for customers to access Bitcoin. That's a good thing. That's a good thing. Uh, This concerns asset managers and payment service providers, as well as insurers and banks. The entry of financial institutions suggests to small investors that investments in Bitcoin are sound. And that's true. I mean, it it doesn't mean they're without risk, but (laughs) it means that they are somewhat sound, right? And small investors, note that they have to say, quote, small investors here because they're very big investors in Bitcoin. I mean, the richest man in the world is a big Bitcoiner. And Elon Musk, I know that he is a Dogecoin dude or whatever, but that, I think that's just all trolling uh, for the most part. I think he does have a sizable bag of, of Bitcoin. And I bet if you looked at like the top 20 billionaires in the world, 10 of them would own Bitcoin. I bet you. So it's not just small investors here. These are big investors the most powerful people on the planet, you know, the most powerful banks and uh, pools of capital are starting to invest in Bitcoin. So it's, and countries, God damn it, countries are investing in Bitcoin. So it's not small investors. All right, let's continue. Um, It's also, also worth noting that the Bitcoin system is an unprecedented polluter. Oh, here we go. First, it consumes energy on the scale of entire economies. Bitcoin mining is estimated to consume the electricity per year comparable to Austria. Second, it produces mountains of hardware waste. One Bitcoin transaction consumes hardware comparable to the hardware of two smartphones. That's interesting. I never heard that, I guess. Um, Okay, the entire Bitcoin system generates as much e-waste, whatever that is, as the entire Netherlands. This inefficiency of the system is not a flaw, but a feature. Ding, ding, ding. It is one of the peculiarities to guarantee the integrity of the complete decentralized system. So I'm not going to say much about this. The pollution aspect of Bitcoin has been debunked left, right, and center. All right. It's the fact that they keep repeating this is just going to dig them deeper, you know, like Whenever they get into debate, if this is brought up in the halls of 
legislatures around the world or parliaments around the world or congresses around the world, whatever councils, then they're going to, these points have been very well debunked and any rational person that is going to defend it on the floor of the parliaments of the world will easily just be able to rattle off 10 things to refute this, of course. Um, so whatever. I don't want to talk too much about that. Promoting Bitcoin bears a reputational risk for banks. Since Bitcoin appears to be neither suitable as a payment system nor as a form of investment, it should be treated as neither in regulatory terms and thus should not be legitimized. Should not be legitimized. That that sentence kind of has a feeling of desperate, you know, being desperate a little bit. Let me read that again. So it should be treated as neither in regulatory terms and thus should not be legitimized. Okay. Similarly, the financial industry should be wary of the long-term damage of promoting Bitcoin investments. Despite short-term profits, they could make even without their skin in the game. All right. Oh my gosh, we got a squall that just hit. Sorry, guys. Little break here in the action. Wow, that storm popped out of nowhere. Just blew over my trash cans up there. Okay, um, where was I here? So should not be legitimized. The financial industry should be wary of long-term damage promoting Bitcoin investments. Um, yeah, but if you look at the history of Bitcoin, right? So there's very few periods where you hold Bitcoin for one or two years and you don't break even or make your money back. Right. So that where's the risk? Let's, let's point this out. Let's be more specific here because they just say, Oh, there's long-term damage. Well, let's be specific about this damage. What is it? Where's it coming from? Point, point it out to me. Yes. You can say FTX, but that's crypto. Okay. We're talking about Bitcoin. We're talking about Bitcoin here. They're saying Bitcoin investments. So show me where a Bitcoin investment is that has done long-term damage. I don't think you can really point to that unless these people are, you know, putting it on a centralized exchange and then that centralized exchange gets hacked. Yeah, there is obviously risk there and there can be damage done there. I totally agree with that, but that's not regulating Bitcoin. That's regulating the exchanges, right? So anyway, let's continue. There's only one more sentence here. So uh, the negative impact on the customer relations and the reputational damage to the entire industry could be enormous on Bitcoin once Bitcoin investors will have made further losses. So, of course, they say there's going to be further losses and Bitcoin investors, remember, they think we're small guys, we're small fries. Yes, there are a lot of plebs that stack Bitcoin. I am one of them. But there are also very large individual investors. There's uh, large institutions. There's even countries now that are Bitcoin investors. So, um that reputational damage is way overblown here in this article. All right. Well, I've been blabbing for a while. What I'm going to do is I'm going to open it up to my guys over on Telegram. So uh, guys on Twitter spaces, welcome. Ansel Linder, Bitcoin and Markets. These are daily streams that I do. Today, I was just going over this ECB blog post and some other macro things. Uh, if you want to join the Telegram, t.me forward slash Bitcoin and Markets. Better audio. And you can even uh, ask a question or make a comment or whatever at the end. So that's what I'm going to do now. Open it up. All you got to do on Telegram is raise your hand and I'll bring you in. All right, AJ, bringing you in here. What's up, man? Hi, Ansa. Hi, Ansa. I just wanted to say that I think it's it's really ironic that they come out with this report where they are obviously predicting the death of Bitcoin and that it, 
you know, that nobody invests in about the same day or plus minus one day when Fidelity comes out and gives the possibility to invest in Bitcoin for retail. That's pretty, <laughs> that's pretty ironic. I find it. And, and this, this report, I mean, it's like, it's like taken straight out of 2017, basically. Oh, great point. Yep. It's absolutely amazing. This is like five years later and the same, they're still coming with the same crap that's been proven. They've been pr proven wrong again and again. And still, mm -hmm. I mean, they have nothing. They have nothing to come with. You know, it's just, this is just a complete, complete, uh, yeah, whatever. You know, it's, uh, I, it amazes me that, that they actually release this kind of crap because it's so, it's like you said, this is really, this is really a sign <laughs> of desperation. Yeah. Oh man. Yeah. Great comment. So relaying that to Twitter spaces, um, AJ just said that th this happened. It's, it's funny that this happened just a couple of days after Fidelity announced that they're opening up to all their, their account holders and stuff. And it also, he said <laughs> that it's just like out of 2017 and yeah, they're always years and years behind. I mean, the regulators are years and years behind, but here I wouldn't even call the ECB necessarily, um, a regulator, they're just fudsters out there trying to fud Bitcoin with the same old fud that's been around forever. The one thing I will say that um, is different this time is that uh, they're trying, they're playing more sleight of hand, I think, with the putting in Bitcoin with crypto and making crypto assets be, be very dangerous. Um, so I think they're trying to work that angle. How do I FUD on Bitcoin with the same FUD, but use crypto evidence, right? So they're, that I think that's kind of what they're doing here. Um, but anyway, thanks for the comment, AJ. All right. Um, I'm actually going to cut it there. It's about time for uh, some of my afternoon activities, like picking up my kids. So I will cut it there. Join me tomorrow at roughly the same time. I do these around the middle of the day, every day, both on Twitter spaces and on Telegram. Please join the Telegram, t.me for slash Bitcoin and Markets. Also join me tomorrow, Thursday, uh, for at 1.30 p.m. Eastern. That will be FedWatch. That's FedWatch's new day and time, Thursday, 1.30 Eastern. All right, guys, thanks for joining. Have a good day. See you next time.